Saturday, September 23rd. Today was the first day of football season for the Lake Windsor High Seagulls. They played a home game against the Cypress Bay High Cardinals. Dad was pretty hyper, like this was the most important day of his life or something. We got there at 1 o'clock for a 2 o'clock game, but I was glad we did. We barely managed to crowd into the home side bleachers. We sat with the other Lake Windsor fans and with the, other, with the few Cypress Bay fans who remembered that half of our bleachers had been condemned. I hadn't seen the bleachers since the day of the sinkhole. There they sat, a big gray erector set, now looped with yellow fleece ribbons that said, do not cross, like a big VIP section reserved for people who were never going to show up. By 1.30, the rest um, of the Cypress Bay fans had gotten the message. There was nowhere for them to sit. They were milling around both end zones, trying to find open places to stand and watch the game. Mom kept saying, this isn't right. Didn't anybody plan for this? Finally, a group of teenagers wearing red and white Cardinals shirts decided to do something about it. They walked around to the visitor side, ducked under the yellow ribbon, and sat down on the front row. They then gestured back to the other Cypress Bay fans like they were pantomiming. See? We made it. It didn't collapse. Other fans started heading over there. Then suddenly we saw this fat guy in a gray suit go running across the field. Mom called out, look, that's Mr. Bridges. Sure enough, Mr. Bridges was yelling and waving at the Cypress Bay fans to go back to get out of there. But they weren't listening. In fact, more and more red and white shirts seemed willing to take a chance on the condemned bleachers. A, a photographer in a Tangerine Times cap started bobbing in front of Mr. Bridges, taking pictures of him trying to turn the mob back. He finally gave up yelling and came stomping back across the field, red-faced, like he was about to have a heart attack. It was past the time to start the game, but nothing was happening on the field. Mom spotted Eric in his uniform. Light blue helmet, white pants, light blue jersey with seagulls written across the front. He had a white number one on his back. Arthur Bauer was standing next to him, of course. He was wearing number four. We continued to sit, baking in the sun, for nearly 30 minutes while nothing happened. Finally, a squadron of police cruisers appeared on Seagull Way. They had their sirens sounding and their lights flashing. Right behind them came a square white truck with a big satellite dish on the top and Channel 2 News on the side. They had pulled up in behind the home bleachers. While the other cops spread out, two big sheriff's deputies marched across the field and confronted the Cypress Bay fans. It was all over in a minute. The fans weren't there to fight. They surrendered immediately, ducking back under the ribbons and finding places to stand along the far sideline. At last, the referees and players took the field to start the game. Turned out to be a pretty sloppy game, considering that the Tangerine Times had picked both the Lake Windsor Seagulls and the Cypress Bay Cardinals as teams to watch in its preseason poll. Eric kicked off for our side, driving the ball deep into the Cypress Bay end zone. But then he stood on the sideline for the rest of the half. Neither offense could get anything going. Each side would run three plays, then punt the ball away. Eric was the place kicker, 
but Antoine Thomas, in addition to everything else, did the punting. By the end of the first half, Antoine had run for about 50 yards, but nearly all of his passes had been dropped. The Seagulls had never gotten the ball close enough for Eric to try a field goal. The Cypress Bay offense was no better. They had a big fullback who could pick up three yards through the middle, but that was about it. It was 0-0 at the half. Tina Page and the rest of the Lake Windsor cheerleaders the Sea Girls, took the field for their halftime dance routine. The third quarter was as dull as the first two, but Cypress Bay's offense suddenly got it together in the final period. They drove 85 yards for a touchdown, most of those yards coming from that big fullback. The kick for the extra point was good, and Cypress Bay led 7 nothing. Antoine responded with two short runs and then a beautiful 40-yard pass to Terry Donnelly, who was wide open down the left side. Could have caught that pass. My grandmother could have caught it, for that matter. But Terry Donnelly dropped it. Antoine had to punt again. That's when I noticed the black clouds rolling in. That whole mess with the visitors' bleachers and Mr. Bridges and the cops had pushed the game past the 4 o'clock barrier. In a matter of minutes, we went from sunny skies to kaboom! And then down it came. A hard, cold rain. Most of the fans climbed down the bleachers from the bleachers and ran for their cars. Mom yelled, come on, you two. But Dad said, no, you go on ahead. I'm staying. So I said, I'm staying too. Mom was already on the ground. She yelled back, fine, stay. I hope neither of you gets killed. She ran back to the Volvo, leaving us to get soaked or worse. The rain turned out to be a blessing for Lake Windsor. The offensive line started pushing Cypress Bay back, letting Antoine move the ball steadily down the field. Five yards, six yards, five yards, seven yards. With two minutes to play, the Seagulls were all the way down to the Cypress Bay five-yard line. Antoine faked a run to the right and lofted a pass into the left corner of the end zone that some mud-covered Seagull receiver caught for the touchdown. A soggy cheer went up from the few fans left in the bleachers. The score was 7-6, to six, and Eric's big moment had arrived. He came running onto the field in his perfectly clean, mud-free uniform to kick the extra point that would tie the game. Eric had never missed an extra point. Never. I was expecting to see Arthur Bauer trotting out with him, but number four was still standing there on the sideline with the other clean uniforms. The two muddy teams lined up. Eric got into his kicking stance, and Antoine Thomas crouched down in front of him to hold the ball. I said, check it out, Dad. Antoine's the holder. I see, he said grimly. Eric told me that Arthur would be his holder. I don't think it's such a good idea to throw a surprise like this at your kicker. Dad and Eric and I and everybody else that figured that Arthur would take over Mike Costello's job. But no. Here was Antoine in the crouch, getting ready to spin the laces and set the ball down for Eric. The referee blew his whistle. The clock started to tick. 
and Lake Windsor's big center snapped the ball. Eric, his head down in total concentration, took two steps forward like he's rehearsed a million times. His foot started toward the ball in a powerful arc, and then the most incredible thing happened. Antoine whipped the ball away at the last second like Lucy does with Charlie Brown. He took off running down around the right side and crossed the goal line untouched for a two-point conversion. Seagulls led 8-7. to seven. At the same moment, Eric, who clearly did not expect Antoine to pull the ball away, kicked at nothing but the air. His left foot went flying off in one direction, his right foot in another. For a split second, he was a parallel line three feet above the ground. Then he made a perfect banana peel backflop landing in the mud. The people around us started laughing, hooting, and cheering all at the same time. Antoine spiked the ball in the end zone, and all the Lake Windsor players, except Eric, ran over and jumped on him. All the Lake Windsor players on the sideline, except Arthur, started jumping up and down too. Eric finally got up and walked to the sideline to get his kicking tee. His front was still clean and white, but his back was now filthy. He kicked the ball back to the Cardinals, but they fumbled it away. And that's how it ended. Lake Windsor 8, Cypress Bay 7. When we got to the car, Mom just said, From here, it sounded like we won. I wanted to tell her all about Eric's banana peel backflop special, but Dad cut in right away. Yes, we won with a fake kick. They sent Eric out to fake the kick for the extra point. That drew the offense to him, and it cleared the way for Antoine to run it in for two points. Mom thought for a minute. So Eric did something that helped to win the game? Most definitely, Dad said. It's not something that shows up in the stats in the newspaper. It's not something people will remember, but it helped win the game. I thought to myself, not remember? You've got to be kidding. Eric's flying banana peel backflop in the mud is the one thing about this game that everybody is going to remember. Dad continued talking in this manner throughout dinner, pounding home his theme to Eric, that Eric had contributed big time to the victory, that Eric had actually made victory possible by being the decoy. I don't think Eric was even listening. He was just sitting there, looking down, twisting his varsity ring around and around on his finger. After dinner, Dad flipped on the TV so we could watch the local news. The lead story on Channel 2 was the revolt of the Cypress Bay fans and their brief takeover of the condemned visitors' bleachers. About two-thirds of the way through the broadcast came the Saturday Sports Roundup. The sports anchorman went through the professional baseball and football stuff, then the college football scores, and then the high school scores. Lake Windsor 8, Cypress Bay 7. The broadcast ended with a feature called The Week in Sports. It was a collection of sports bloopers, and guess who they saved for last? The anchorman said something like, Finally, a play that looks like it was drawn up by the Three Stooges. Watch closely. And there it was, a ground-level view of the ball being snapped to Antoine, of Eric striding forward confidently, and woo, up in the air he flew. It was even more comical than I remembered. Eric went splashing down into the mud, and he didn't stay there. 
They rewound the tape so that he popped back up and flopped again, popped back up and flopped again. Finally, the camera turned toward the end zone to watch Antoine spiking the ball. It zoomed in on his face. Antoine was laughing and pointing his finger at the big center, who was pointing back at him. When the anchorman came back on, he was cracking up. So were all the other news people. Credits started rolling, and they started saying stuff like, does that school have a diving team? And I hear those mud baths are good for wrinkles. Dad got up and snapped off the TV. The four of us sat there in stony silence. I was thinking that if I were somebody else's house, we'd be rolling on the floor and laughing at this. I was thinking that kids all over Florida were rolling on the floor and laughing at this. At Eric Fisher, the flying place kicker. But this isn't somebody else's house. This is the house built on the Eric Fisher football dream. Finally, Dad said to Eric, Hey, all you can do is laugh it off. Mom agreed. That's right. You just leave it behind you. That's all you need to do. You can do. You can leave it behind you, and it's over with. The four of us got up and went our separate ways. Me up to my room. I stared out the window at the back wall. Forget it, Dad. Forget it, Mom. Eric can't live, laugh this off. He can't leave this humiliation behind him. Someone has to pay for this. I'm not sure why I'm sure, but I am. Someone has to pay for this. Tuesday, September 26th. Today was our second game of the season and our first home game at Tangerine Middle. The opponents were from Kino Middle School. They wore black uniforms with silver letters. Pretty sharp. Henry D. told me they beat us last year. We had an impressive turnout of fans. In fact, I've never seen so many fans at a kid's soccer game. Some of them are obviously regulars because they brought along water and tangerines for the team. I recognize Teresa and Luis Cruz. They were standing with a man who looked like he had, could be their father. Was he the Tomas whose name was written on the truck? There were a lot of mothers with little kids. A couple of ladies had lawn chairs, but everyone else, everybody else, and there must have been a hundred kids and grown-ups, stood for the entire game. I saw Chandra chat, uh, talking to a lady, and I overheard somebody say, that's Chandra's mother with her. It got me wondering, why isn't my mother here or my father? They could be watching this game. So could Joey's parents. If we were playing football, they'd all be here. We were all more relaxed before this game, except for Victor. He was already talking trash to some of the Kino um, players, reminding them about something that had happened last year. They were giving it right back to him, saying stuff like, Hey, Guzman, why are you on the girls' team? Couldn't you make the boys' team? We started with the same lineup with me in the, on the sideline. This time, though, I was standing next to Joey. He's now wearing number 19 for the War Eagles. The referee was clearly a cut above the last one we had. A Keno defender took Maya down in the penalty area, and he blew the whistle right away. Maya drilled the penalty kick up or right into the net, and we were up one to nothing in the first minute. But these were not the Palmetto Whippoorwills. They had a good offense. They were fast, and they knew how to move the ball. Chandra was very busy in the goal. She looked sharp out there, really on her game. That's what I think when I watch Chandra in the goal. How sharp she looks, how big she looks, like one of those American gladiators. 
what most people most people think when they come to see me at the goal how small I look how goofy I look with my goggles Dolly and Mano sandwiched a guy in front of our goal and got whistled for it penalty kick Chandra never got a hand on the ball and it was suddenly 1-1 I wouldn't have gotten a hand on it either at least I don't think I would have standing on the sidelines sideline for this game was a pleasure after that awful time we had at Palmetto these were two, our two teams who knew how to play soccer. Some highlights. Maya stopped on a dime and passed the ball back to Tino, who drove it into the goal. Then they came back and scored. Henry D. lifted a beautiful corner kick in to Victor, who leaped up and held it, uh, headed it in the, into the goal. Then they came back and scored. At halftime, it was 3-3, and there hadn't been one fight. We all gathered in this circle on the sideline to eat our tangerines. The coach said good game to a couple of players, then spent the rest of her time talking to Chandra about the three goals, how she could, shouldn't think any more about them, how she should adjust for the second half. Finally, she looked over at Victor. Captain, do you have anything to say? We all turned toward Victor, and we saw why he hadn't been talking or drawing any attention himself. He had his hand pressed against his forehead, trying to stop a trickle of blood from running down his face. It was in the same spot where he had smacked heads with the Palmetto goalie. The head ball that he had put into the net must have reopened the cut because it's sure bleeding now. He said, no, I got nothing to say here. I'll do my talking out there. Betty Bright walked over and headed, you know, pulled his hand down from the cut. She shook her head and said, is your mother here today? He snarled, my mother? No, my mother's not here. What are you talking about? Tino? Please ask your father if he'll drive Victor to the emergency room. She turned back to Victor. I'm sorry. I should have had this stitched up when it happened. There's never It's never going to heal this way, like this. I hope Mr. Cruz can take you now. No way. I'm not going to an emergency room. I've got a game to play, the coach said. Not this game, Victor. You get yourself together for the next game. We'll have to win this one without you. Then, without even thinking about it, she turned to me and said, Paul Fisher, you're in for Victor. Victor continued to protest. It's not even bleeding anymore. Yes, it is bleeding. You should see your shirt. I can play this half and then go. You're already gone, Victor. Now deal with it. Victor looked at me for a few seconds. Then he turned to address us all. Who wants to win this game? Everybody in the circle looked back at him, not knowing what to do. Victor shouted, do you want to win this game? And we all started yelling, yeah, yeah. Do you want to win this game? Yeah, yeah. Victor reached out and fixed his clenched fist in the middle of the circle. We all leaped up and put our hands on his as he started the chant, war eagles, war eagles. We started moving our hands in unison up and down, changing the chant into the frenzied cry of war, war, war. We opened the second half with fire in our eyes, even though we had had me instead of Victor. This time, it was the defense that sparked the rally. They wouldn't let the Kino players cross the midfield line with the ball. Mano, Dolly, Hernando, they kept pounding the ball upfield to the strikers. Maya was getting the ball a lot, more than them in the first half, and she was making things happen. She beat her defender to the outside and then crossed the ball to, to Tino, who scored the first goal of the half. We didn't celebrate. He came right back at them. Maya hit 
one to end herself. A beautiful looping shot into the upper right corner of the goal. The Keno goaltender never even saw it coming. The defense got the ball back upfield immediately. Maya dribbled right, and three defenders went after her. She lobbed the ball back over their heads, and guess who was standing there all alone in front of the goal? This time, I didn't stop to think. I kicked the ball as hard as I could. It glanced off the goalie's left hand and carried into the net. I had scored a goal. Had this ever happened before? I just stood there, staring at the net, until I realized that my teammates were hurrying to line up again. I was still trying to remember any time when I had ever scored a goal when Maya got another one on the long cross pass from Nita. She raised her foot knee high and smacked the ball right out of the air into the net. Suddenly, this tight game was a 7-3 blowout. The coach started sending in other subs. She sent Joey in for Hernando. She sent one of the sixth graders in for Maya, who got a loud ovation from the fans. The Keno players never recovered from the assault, although they did manage to move the ball into our end of the field. Turns out that Joey is a pretty terrible soccer player. They had no trouble beating him again and again. Chandra had to make a few tough saves near the end. That's probably what Betty Bright wanted. The final score was Tangerine 7, Keno 3. Mr. Cruz and Victor came back right at the end. Victor had a, long, a line of black stitches going up his forehead like Frankenstein. He fell on his knees in thanks when he found out the score. Then he started high-fiving with the starters. He called over to me. Hey, fisherman, you were me out there, right? How many goals did I score? I shrugged. Sorry, Victor, I could only get you one. Victor looked at Tino to confirm this, and Tino nodded. Victor stepped toward me and held up his hand. I high-fived it for all I was worth. Tuesday, September 26th, later. The portable phone rang just as I walked past it in the great room. I heard my grandmother's no-nonsense voice. Hello, Paul. How are you? I'm fine, Grandmom. You didn't get hurt in all that sinkhole business. Oh, no. No, I got pretty dirty, but no hurt. How are you otherwise? Mom walked in and mouthed the words, Who is it? I said out loud, Grandmom, and she reached out for the phone. I signed off. I'm all right, Grandmom. Here's Mom. Mom always seems eager to get on the phone with Grandmom and Grandpop. Dad and Eric certainly don't. They make themselves scarce. Mom began to tell her mother about the sinkhole and the emergency relocation plan, so I made my way upstairs. Sounded like she was going to be on for a long time, which is why I was surprised a few minutes later when she opened my door and held out the portable toward me. I mouthed the word, Grandma? She whispered back, No, a girl, and left. Puzzled, I said, Hello? Paul? Hi, it's Kara Clifton from Lake Windsor Middle. Do you remember me? Yeah? How's it going? I couldn't think of a thing to say, so she continued. I just wanted to find out how you like Tangerine Middle. Joey says it's really different. I don't know what he means by that. Neither, neither do I. Um, maybe he just means it's a tougher place? Yeah, so what are the kids like? Some of them are pretty tough. They have gangs and stuff, but the kids I'm with are cool. Yeah? So are you going out with anybody from there? I was shocked. No one had asked me that question before. I sat. What do you, said, what do you mean? 
Joey said he thought you might be going out with some girl from there. He did? No, no, I'm not. Uh-huh. Do you remember? Oh, do you remember Carrie? My friend Carrie Gardner? Yeah, sure. I almost forgot. I told her I was going to call you and she said to say hi. Oh, okay. Well, tell her I said hi. Yeah, you want me to tell her you said hi? Sure, yeah. So you kind of like her then? I froze. I suddenly felt like someone was looking at me through one of those two-way mirrors. I didn't say anything else, so Kara finally said, Okay then, it's just that she's a friend of mine and she asked me to say hi, so I wanted to make sure that I did. Okay. Let me get off now. Maybe I'll be seeing you around sometime with Joey. Okay, bye. Bye. I sat there for a minute, stunned. Then I turned the phone back on and called Joey. Hey, your girlfriend just called me. Kara? Yeah, what does she want with you? She started asking me if I liked Carrie Gardner. Oh, okay. Say no more. You know what they were doing, right? What? They were scamming you. Girls scam guys all the time with that. Carrie was listening in on the extension. No. Yeah, that's how it works. She has her friend call you up and find out what you have to say about her. It's kind of like a hidden camera video interview. Yeah? Yeah, that's exactly what it felt like. So Carrie was on the other end? Yep. So what do I do next? About what? About Carrie. Well, if you want to talk to her, you call her up. Okay, but what if I don't call her? Am I going to be hurting her feelings or anything like that? Nah. You're taking all this stuff too seriously. You're probably calling up a half a dozen guys tonight and asking them the same thing. It's a phone. It's like a phone survey. Uh-huh. So what about that Adam guy? The one from the carnival. Is he still going out with her? Hey, what am I? People magazine? I don't know. I don't even see those guys anymore. Uh-huh. Well, maybe if you hear something, you can let me know. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I gotta go eat. All right, I'll see you tomorrow. Right. He hung up and I took a deep breath. I held on to the phone for a long time. Thought about the situation from all different angles and in all different ways. No matter how I looked at it, my conclusion came out the same. One inescapable conclusion. Carrie Gardner knows about my glasses, but she doesn't think there's anything wrong with me. Wednesday, September 27th. The coach wouldn't let Victor practice today because of his stitches. He stomped away, threatening to go home and pull them out himself. Once again, I got put in this place. I had a couple of opportunities to score against Chandra, but I didn't. Victor returned near the end of practice, carrying a super big gulp from the 7-Eleven. He stood down in the far goal, where I usually stand, and as usual, the ball never went there. He started to get on Joey's case, telling him to stop standing around doing nothing. But the coach soon noticed him and told him to get out of there. After practice, I got my bag and I started walking with Joey when Victor fell into step behind us. His boys, of course, were right behind him. Hey, fisherman, since you're me now, do you want a drink of my big gulp? No, thank you, Victor. What? You too good to drink out of my big gulp? Yes, I am. Tino, Hernando, and Mano started laughing. Victor smiled and continued, hey, fisherman, why is this boy always following you around? I glanced at Joey. He was looking straight ahead. I don't know, Victor. Why don't you ask him? Victor tapped Joey on the shoulder with his cup. Hey, yo, why are you following fisherman around all the time? Joey looked upset. 
He didn't know how to handle this. I smiled to show him that Victor was just messing around, but he wouldn't even look at me, and he wouldn't answer. I knew that things were about to get worse. Victor tapped him again, a little harder. His voice got a little louder. Yo, I said, why are you following Fisherman around all the time? You his boyfriend or something? Joey turned toward him angrily. No, I'm not. Victor ignored him and started in on me. Me, me. Fisherman, you can't take two steps without his boy following you. What's up with that? Is he some kind of fish, maybe? Does he hope you're going to catch him? The boys behind Victor were getting into it now. Victor turned to Tino and said, Who's that fish your daddy has the picture of? You know, the fish picture that's hanging up on the hut? Tino shook his head. What are you talking about? Your daddy has an old magazine ad on the wall, making fun of Tio Carlos. Tino thought about it and then yelled out, Sorry, Charlie. Yeah, yeah, that's the dude. Sorry, Charlie. Charlie the tuna. He's always trying to get caught. He's always hanging around trying to get on that hook, right? He poked Joey again. Is that you? Are you Charlie the tuna? The boys were laughing wildly now. I spoke in a calm voice to Joey. Just chill out. He wouldn't, But he wouldn't chill out. He was letting it get to him. Victor let, kept after him. Star kissed. Don't want tunas with good taste, Charlie? They want tunas that taste good. The boys were laughing like maniacs now and slapping hands. Do you understand the difference, my man? Joey continued to stare straight ahead, his face red, his jaw clenched. We all reached the green pickup truck, and the boys piled into the back, still laughing about Joey. They can, we continued on through the school. He didn't say a word until we were standing out at the curb. So what was that supposed to be? Some kind of initiation or something? Yeah, yeah, don't take it too seriously. That's just Victor. Did he ever mess around with you, with you like that? Sure, on the first day I went out for the team. And then he stopped. Yeah, yeah, sure, he stopped. Joey stared down the street looking for Mom's car. I didn't have the heart to tell him the rest of it. Victor might stop messing with him, but his name would be Charlie the Tuna from here on out. Mom pulled up, and Joey hopped into the back seat without a word. I got in the front and noticed that Mom was staring at something ahead of us. She pulled up ten more yards to where Maya and Nita were standing. She rolled down the window, smiled, and said, Hello, girls. Maya smiled back. Hello, how are you? There was an awkward silence until Mom said, So, how is it playing against these boys? I'm not sure Maya understood the question. She answered, Oh, yes, some of them are quite good players. I think it's great that you have a co-ed team. I really do. Thank you. Mom rolled the window back up and pulled away. I said, what was that all about? I just wanted to encourage those girls a little. No wonder Mom Ma Maya seemed confused. I said, Mom, Maya doesn't need too much encouragement. She's the top scorer on the for the in the county. Numero uno. She she'll make the all county team for sure. Mom's jaw dropped. Are you serious? That tall girl. She'll be on the all-county boys team? Yes, so will Chandra, if she doesn't get hurt. That's fantastic. Does Mr. Donnelly know about this? Mr. Donnelly? Mr. Donnelly from the Tangerine Times. This would be, this should be in the newspaper. Don't you think so, Joey? Joey was sulking pretty heavily in the back. 
I don't think he even heard her. We drove the rest of the way in silence. We turned into the entranceway to the Lake Windsor Downs and then onto Joey Street. It was a weird sight. The houses on either side of his were completely covered in huge, bright blue tents. They had signs posted all around them. Danger! Poison gas! Mom tried to make eye contact with him in the rearview mirror. Joey, why are your neighbors getting their houses tinted? They gotta get fumigated, he said. Fumigated for bugs. We've all got bugs. You all do? Your house too? Yeah, the whole street, I think. What kind of bugs? I don't know. Roaches? Termites? So are you getting one of those tents put over your house? Yeah, next week, I think. We pulled into Joey's driveway. I could see the tents better now. They were really big pieces of blue canvas tied together with ropes to hold in the poison fumes. Mom said, how long do you have to stay away when they fumigate? Two days. Well, you're welcome to stay with us. You and Paul do everything else together. You may as well sleep together, right, Paul? Thought to myself, perfect, Mom. The perfect thing to say under the circumstances. Joey got that upset look on his face again. He muttered, I don't think so, and went inside. Mom turned to me. What's with him? Why wouldn't he want to come to our house? I shrugged and said, I don't know. But of course I do know. Joey hasn't set foot in our house since the day he met up with Eric and Arthur. He'll probably never set foot in it again. But Mom could never understand that. For Joey, our house had, may well have been covered with canvas and bound by ropes because it's filled with poison. Friday, September 29th. Joey didn't show up for practice yesterday, but someone else did. We had been loosening up for about 10 minutes. The starters, including Victor, were taking shots at Chandra in the goal. Subs, including me, were kicking a ball around in the circle. I looked over toward the bus lanes and saw a white van pulling in. It had two high-tech-looking antennas on top, one on the back that looked like a corkscrew and one in the middle that swiveled. Anyway, this van kept driving right off the blacktop and over the grass toward our field. When it got closer, I could see that Tangerine Times was printed on the side. I suddenly got a sick feeling. Mom had actually done it. She had called Mr. Donnelly about our team, or at least about the girls on our team. The van pulled up next to Betty Bright's door, car, her 1967 yellow and white Mustang. A young man with long hair and a big camera hanging from his neck, around his neck, jumped out of the driver's side. He set a, he set a black leather case down on the back of the Mustang. Mr. Donnelly got out of the other side. He had on a blue suit and carried a small notebook. He walked straight up to the coach who was on the sideline talking to Dolly. I drifted toward them to hear what they would say. It was obvious that Mr. Donnelly and Betty Bright knew each other. She shook hands with him and gave him a big smile. She stopped smiling pretty fast, though, when she saw the long-haired guy's case on her car. She started walking over there just as the photographer closed in on Nita and Maya and started taking pictures. Mr. Donnelly walked with her, opening his notebook. He said, I understand that you have a couple of pretty special players on your team this year. The coach took the photographer's bag and dumped it on the ground. She said, uh-huh. And who would that be? Mr. Donnelly flipped open, flipped back a few pages in his notebook. A girl named Maya and a girl named Chandra? They're both supposed to make the all-county boys team? 
When Dolly heard this, she yelled over, Hey, Chandra, they want to talk to you, girl. Chandra had been focused on the shooters all this time. When she heard Dolly, she looked over puzzled. Then she spotted the Tangerine Times van and the long-haired guy with his camera. A look of terror came up over her face. She spun around on her heels and sprinted away, right out of the goal, across the field, across the bus lanes, and into the school. Everybody stopped what they were doing and watched her go. Now that there was no one in the goal, Victor walked up to the photographer and announced, You must be here to interview me. I'm Victor Guzman, the captain of the first place Tangerine Middle School for Eagles. How do you do? The guy looked over at Mr. Donnelly. Then he said, Excuse me, and tried to get around Victor. But Victor blocked him and added, You'll probably want to get some action shots of me before you do anything else. The photographer stared at him dumbly. Then he stepped back and lined up a, a picture of Victor, who struck a pose and smiled. The camera flashed, and Victor added, That's Victor Guzman. You know how to spell that? G-U-Z-M-A-N. Don't you go spelling my name wrong, or I'll have to mess you up. Hernando, Tino, and Mano crowded in front of the photographer next, telling him their names and demanding that he take their pictures. The guy looked over at Mr. Donnelly, who signaled them to go ahead and do it. Mr. Donnelly said, look, Betty, I'm sorry for disrupting your practice. Can I just get the last names of the girls? The coach still wasn't looking at him, but she still was, ha was not happy. This is more disruptive than you could know, Mr. Donnelly. If you want to run a picture of our team, you should show Victor. He's our captain. Mr. Donnelly replied, but he's not news, coach. Having girls on your team is news. Not really. I've had girls on this team for five years. Why is it suddenly news? Mr. Donnelly held up his hands to explain, and the coach looked at him. You're the first place team in the county. You have the top scorer in the county, and she's a girl. The coach nodded. All right, fair enough. Her name is Maya Pandy, P-A-N-D-H-I. He wrote this down. Great. And what about Chandra? You never mind about Chandra. She doesn't want any part of the newspapers or publicity. So that's the way it's going to be. Mr. Donnelly nodded. Okay. I'll certainly respect her wishes. They shook hands again. The guy with the long hair saw this and broke away from the boys. He grabbed his bag, climbed up the driver's seat of the van, and the two of them drove back the way they came. Betty Bright watched them go, then walked slowly across the field and into the school. Victor sat down, so the rest of us did too. Finally, the coach and Chandra came walking out. By the time Chandra was back in the goal to start the scrimmage, we had lost about 20 minutes of practice time. Like I said, that all happened yesterday. This morning, I looked in the Tangerine Times in the back of the sports section. There was no article about our team, but there was a photo, the wrong photo. The photo of Nita Shirley, the caption, Maya Pandy leads all scorers in Tangerine County. Good going, Mom. Monday, October 2nd. I'm in classes with Teresa, Tino, Maya, Nita, and Henry D. all day. Now Joey has joined the group. The first and last periods of the day, science and language arts, do cross-curricular projects together. That means that we do a science-type project in the science class, and we write about it in the language arts class. I came in at the tail end of the last project, so 
All I could do is sit and listen to the kids read their reports. They were really good. Now we're starting a new cross-curricular project. Mrs. Potter passed out a project sheet that describes what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to do it, and how we're supposed to present it to the class. At the top of the project sheet, it says, Science Language Arts Cross-Curricular Project. Broad topic, Florida agriculture. Narrow topic, an agricultural product that is native to this area of Florida. Your topic, question, question mark, question mark, question mark. Mrs. Potter gave us 24 hours to form our own groups of four to six kids. After that, she would form new groups out of the leftovers, as she called them. I was looking over the project sheet with Joey when I saw Tino walking back toward us. He stopped at Henry D's desk and said, Yo, Henry D, you want to be in a group with Teresa and me? We got an idea. I got a hot idea. Henry D, whose real name is Henry Dilkes, is a quiet country boy, always polite. He said, Thank you. I'd be pleased to. Tino bumped his fist down on top of Henry's and started back toward his desk. I called out to him, Hey, Tino, what about me and Joey? Can we be in your group? Tina stopped and looked at me, surprised. He thought a minute and said, yeah, why not? But it's our group. You got that? Yeah, yeah, sure. He returned to his seat and Joey said to me, what'd you do that for? Do what? We got to get in the group, right? I don't want to be a leftover. So why don't we form our own group? With who? We need four to six people. With anybody. Anybody but him. He shot an angry look at Tino. Come on, man. Henry's nice, super nice. So is Teresa. And Tino's okay when he's by himself. Joey shook his head. He didn't believe me. That guy's got that guy's bad news. I don't need this. I don't need this at all. Hey, this isn't soccer practice. It's science class. You're an ace in science, right? Joey glared at me. What are you saying? That a stink in soccer? No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that this is different. This is something you're really good at. Joey finally agreed, doubtfully. All right, all right. Good. This will give you another chance with people. You know, a chance to get in with some of the people from the team. There was a strange pause. Joey finally said, I'm not on the team anymore. Can't believe what I was hearing. Since when? I turned in my uniform this morning. I looked at him. But he wouldn't look back. I finally said, that's it? You're just not on the team anymore? And that's it? Joey tightened up. Yeah, that's it. So what? What's it to you? Nothing to me. I just don't understand. I thought you wanted to play soccer. Well, I don't. Not here anyway. Finally looked at me. Not anywhere. I'm going to play football when I get to high school. You understand that? I understood. I said, okay. And I was willing to leave it right there. But Joey wasn't. He was practically snarling now. I can't believe I let you talk me into this. And he gestured around the room. I let you talk me into coming to this dump. I suddenly became aware of the other kids around us as he went on. This place is like the darkest Africa. Like the Amazon jungle. Like we were learning to live among the natives here. I took in the ugliness of Joey's words. And I saw for the first time how different he was from me. Different parents. Different friends. Different brother. The speaker came on and this gong sounded. I had to say something, so I muttered, I'm sorry you feel that way. And I headed out without him into the crowded hallway. Tuesday, October 3rd. There's something I forgot to record here about Joey's first day at Tangerine Middle School. 
Or maybe I didn't forget. Maybe I just wanted to block it out. But after what he said yesterday, I can't. The scene came back to me today on the way home. It was last Monday. I was sitting in homeroom. Suddenly, Joey walked in and handed Miss Pollard a pass. He was all by himself. No Teresa to show him around like I had hoped. Miss Pollard told him to take a seat, so he came back and sat next to me. He was all smiles, and he said something like, Hey, so far, so good. I said, Where's Teresa? Who? Teresa. Teresa Cruz. Told you to ask for her as a guide? Oh, yeah. She's back in the office. I saw her there. What? she guiding somebody else today? Nah, I just didn't need it. What, what do I need a guide dog for? A guide dog? You're calling Teresa a guide dog? Joey laughed. Come on, man, lighten up. What? Do you think she's good looking? Thought about it. Yeah, I guess I do. Joey still had that cocky smile plastered on his face. Then you've been here too long. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I just shook my head. I finally said, I gotta tell you, you're coming in here with the wrong attitude. Hey, what's the big deal? I got here okay without a guide, right? You'd have to be blind to get lost in this place. Oh, is that right? So now you're calling me blind. No, I'm not calling you blind. You're calling Teresa a dog? No, I'm just pointing out that she's not my type. The bell rang for the first period. All I had time to say was, don't do this. Don't come in here with attitude. Like I said, that scene came back to me today. We had our first meeting for the science project. Each group of kids pulled their desks together and the leftover kids then got put into their own groups. Joey and I pulled our desk into the circle with Henry D., Teresa, and Tino. I was surprised with Teresa, not Tino, to charge of the meeting. And it was obvious that she had done this sort of thing before. Teresa began by reading the assignment aloud to research and present information about the agricultural product that is native to this area of Florida. Then she passed out a glossy one-page ad with a picture of a citrus tree laden with fruit. When we heard this assignment, Tino and I knew right away that what we were going to write about. I just gave you all an advertisement for the agricultural product that's developed by my, our brother, Luis. It's a new variety of citrus that he has named the Golden Dawn Tangerine. This tangerine is seedless, very juicy, and very resistant to cold weather, which makes it perfect for this area. Luis thinks it could even return this area to its former prominence as the tangerine capital of the world. He just got it registered with the state this year as a new variety. Now he's starting to market it as to citrus growers in Florida, California, and Mexico. So our report is going to be called the Golden Dawn Tangerine. Teresa passed out sheets of paper that had our report title typed across the top. She said, what we want to do today is divide up our research part of the project. Tina and I will concentrate on Luis's invention and what he had to do to register it with the state. Somebody else can do the history of the citrus industry in this area. Henry, we thought you could do that part. You know, when citrus growing here, when did citrus growing here start? What are the types of trees that grow best here? That kind of thing. Henry D. nodded and jotted something down. Then Teresa turned to me. Somebody else could do basic research on what a tangerine is and how it's grown. We thought that you and your friend could handle that. I nodded. Teresa added, any questions? Henry D. said, excuse me. How long did it take for your brother to invent this tangerine? Tino answered, his whole life. 
I can't remember a time when Luis wasn't working on us. And I don't know if Teresa made it clear or not, but this is really a big deal. It's like inventing a new kind of medicine or something. Luis is going to be famous for doing this. Teresa said, Luis is really real interested in helping us too. He'll answer questions and he'll show us how it's done. We figure we'll get all the research in. Then we'll have an organizational meeting, probably with Luis. Then each group can write its section of the report and give it to me and I'll type it all up. Joey interrupted her. Just put it all on a disc and give it to me. I'll run it off on a laser jet at home. Teresa looked away. She seemed flustered. She said, we don't have a computer. We have a typewriter. We use a typewriter. Tino snapped at him. You got a problem with that, Tuna? Joey stared him down. No, I don't have a problem with that. I guess I got a problem with you. Yeah, you're going to have a big problem with me. Bigger than you know, chomp. I felt I had to head this off, so I said, come on, you guys, forget this. Shut up, Tino snarled, his eyes still locked on Joey's. Joey, I said, it's Tino's group, right? We agreed to, to that when we joined. Joey stood up and moved his desk back. He looked at me and with disgust. You agreed to that. You agreed to anything. Not me. I'm joining another group. He started to drag his desk away. Then he stopped and looked at Tino adding sarcastically, not that your brother and his new type of banana aren't fascinating. Tino jumped up and lunged at him, but Joey was too fast. He leaned back and Tino flew past him, landing on the desk of the next group. Mrs. Potter was there before he could recover. She got a grip on Tino's arm and hustled him out into the hallway. Joey turned on me. This is how you get by here, right? You kiss up to these guys? You scared of these guys? What are you talking about? I'm not scared. You're a gutless wonder, Fisher. You're afraid of girls. You're afraid of your own brother. Now you're afraid of these low lives. They treat you like a dog and you take it. Take it. You like it. You think they're your friends. Everyone's eyes were on Joey. He was red-faced and angry. Let me tell you something. You're bigger than this little punk. You know that? And I'm bigger than you. If he ever messes with me again, I don't care where it is. I'm going to punch him out. Mrs. Potter stepped back into the classroom and signaled for Joey to join her in the hallway. He walked out and everybody's eyes turned on me. I had no clue what to do. I just stood there. Finally, Teresa broke the tension. So are you joining another group or what? I answered immediately. No, I want to stay here. Teresa spoke to the class. Then let's all sit down. I spent the rest of the period staring at the blank piece of paper, trying to sort out what had happened. Joey came back at the end of the period and sat down the leftover group behind me. Tino didn't come back at all. The word at practice was he had been suspended for three days.